Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Mono Real Radio, episode number three. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we're happy to be back this week talking the John Favreau 2016 remake of The Jungle Book, the live-action remake of The Jungle Book. Yeah, we're going to do a little comparison to last week's episode on the animation. Yes. So let's let's start it off. Let's let's just go for it. All right. Well, what did uh, what did you think of Favreau's take on this? Um, I will say this. I I the, I've seen the movie now four times. Coming out of the theater that when I saw it for the first time, I absolutely loved it. As I've watched it a few more times, it's still a very good movie. But when I compare it to the original one that I loved so much, the things that I... I don't want to go so far as to say dislike. The things that I didn't agree with mm -hmm. stand out to me even more as I watch them side by side. Agreed. Yeah, when I first heard that they were doing a live-action remake, I was kind of like... I was very skeptical, admittedly, because I knew they weren't going to use real animals, obviously. So I was like, you're going to qualify this as a live action for one character because it's it's really just going to be now essentially a 10-year-old boy running around on a loincloth and everything else is going to be CGI. Right. But then when I heard Favreau was doing it, my opinion changed a little bit because admittedly I am a Favreau fan um, and I think he, he really did a great job with it. Um, you know, this is a real visual achievement, what he did. Um, and same thing when I walked out of the theater, I was blown away by it, but now, especially having watched it just coming off the animation, um, you know, there's a few things that I don't jive with as much as I did when I first saw it in theaters. And interesting, interestingly enough, um, some of the issues that I had with the animation last week, Favreau addresses in this one, but I don't think it makes for overall a better movie. I will say that of all the live-action uh, Disney reimaginings that they've done, I think this probably is the best one. So far, but this is just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, they're they're going to redo everything, it seems like. So uh, we'll see if it can hold on to that title. Sure. Um, so why don't we get started with it here? We're going to do things a little bit differently this week. Yeah, uh, we're going to deviate from our normal format a little bit instead of, uh, you know, discussing the plot and the music and the characters and story. Uh, we're just going to walk through this in chronological order of how things play out on screen because um, it's, it's going to be a little bit easier to compare and contrast that way, we feel. Um, so let's start at the very, very, very beginning, uh, before the title card. Before the opening credits, um, we're going to start with the castle. Now, I am a purist. I miss my VHS blocky castle with the lines and then the little arch that comes over it before it says Walt Disney. And the blue background. Yes, I miss my traditional opening. But with that said, um, I do like what they've been doing lately and bringing the the castle open like into the world of the movie that they're in. Um, I think uh, I think they did it with like Wreck-It Ralph. They did like a really cool open, um, you know. And they've just been with pirates. They did it just more and more, bringing it right into the world that we're going to be in. So I think that's kind of cool. And they did it here. 
Uh, what I really, really love about this one, though, is that um, Favreau obviously did some homework before directing this film. Uh, they actually did painted cells for their castle open, which I thought was really, really cool and, you know, a nice nod to tradi traditional animation, especially being that this was Walt's last animated film. Um, so I thought that was that was a pretty cool tribute. Um, another thing that Favreau does really, really nicely um, is, uh, well, he starts on the book, The Jungle Book, which is the same way that the animation opens. Uh, but what's cool is that they got the actual prop book from the original Jungle Book. Out of the Disney archives. Yeah. And they were the only ones who were allowed to touch it. They didn't even let Favreau touch the book. He kind of makes it, you know, dance and move a little bit in the beginning. He wasn't even allowed to to do that. It had to be the archivist touching it. So I thought that was pretty cool. But I, I like that they still opened with the book. Right. And they said that it was, uh, was the multi-plane Right. Well, they they start they open the book same way as the animation and they start with with the hand drawn and then they kind of move into the live action. And the way that they do that, um, we didn't get to mention this last week, is that um, Walt Disney developed the multiplane camera and um, it's what gives Disney animation so much depth. So what they do is. Um, they basically layer the cells. Um, if you've been to One Man's Dream at MGM, which is no longer there, you can see the whole rig and the setup of um, one of the first films that they used this technology on. It was called The Old Mill. And basically you had the first cell was your background. It was a painted cell of an old mill. And then your next cell was uh, all this foliage. And then on top of that, there was a spider web and then your fourth cell was a spider. And what they do is they stack them vertically and then they shoot the camera down at these cells and the way that they move the camera through, it creates a lot more depth. So thank you everyone for indulging my nerdiness as I explain this. There's actually a video of Walt himself explaining it, uh, which I'm gonna post on the Twitter and Facebook so you can actually you know, get more of a visual of what I'm talking about and how the technology is used. But uh, what's really, really cool is that um, Favreau studied this technology and he wanted to use it to make the Jungle Book 3D. And when I initially heard about this, I kind of rolled my eyes and I was like, we don't need 3D. It, it, it would, at the time, I feel like there was just too much out there and I was like, I don't want to see all this jumping out at me. Um, but what he did was he used the 3D in such a way uh, to create that same depth. Um, and what he said in an interview was that he wouldn't use it any more or less than Walt would have. And he just, you know, made it lend to the visual instead of using it as a sight gag, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, so you can see an example of that right from the opening credits. Um, once they pull out of the castle, it kind of moves back into the jungle and you can see the layers and layers of trees and bushes and brush and all those things. And you can kind of tell where it transitions um, because it, it looks kind of CGI'd and the camera pulls out and then it goes back in and now you're in the live action and it's blended so seamlessly and it's just such a cool shot. And I love that within about 30 seconds of screen time, Favreau kind of tips his hat twice to the original, which is really, really cool. Yeah. And the movie starts very differently than the animated uh, feature does. The animated feature kind of starts with Bagheera finding Mowgli in the basket and bringing him to the wolf den. In this movie, it starts with, 
Bagheera is doing his narrative the same way he did it in the animated film. But you see Mowgli running through the jungle with the wolf pack. He's sort of like in wolf training. Right. And you're starting Mowgli at age 10 uh, instead of seeing him as a baby. Um, Glad they stuck with Bagheera as the narrator. I had said it last week. I think he's really the only character that experiences this journey with Mowgli from beginning to end. I feel like he's he's really the only one who can do it. He's the default, you know? Um, so that works. And um, you've got Ben, ben Kingsley voicing Bagheera, which I thought was a really cool choice. Yeah. I will say the the, the casting of this movie was, was wonderful. I mean, it was done perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked some of the choices that they made uh, as far as the cast. So, uh, you know, as we introduce the characters, we'll, we'll give you who voiced them. Um, so, yeah, I don't, um, I don't know that I like that they started Mowgli at age 10. I mean, I, I kind of like that we see him bonding with the wolves right away, but I don't know that it makes for a better hook into the story, not seeing how he was found as a baby and just kind of hearing that laid out in the narration. Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they come back to it later on with Ka, but I, Here's the thing, like I, I understand they don't want to necessarily do a shot-for-shot remake of these animated features, and I also know that Favreau wanted to um, follow more like the Kipling novel, mm-hmm. so much not not so much the animated feature, but he wanted to give his nods here and there. And the original script for this movie was much darker, so he did kind of lighten it up a little bit and dial back on how dark the original script was. Um, yeah, I mean, it's okay. Um, it's, I'm sort of indifferent about it. I'm okay with it being a little bit different and I'm okay with them touching on it later. But when you sit down thinking when the movie, you know what it is? It's jarring. And I'll say why it's jarring because this movie starts with Bagheera doing the exact same narrative. It's almost a shot for shot recreation to start the movie so you think that's what you're about to watch. And when it's not what you're familiar with, it kind of takes you out of it for a second. True. Good point. And I think I think maybe that's the issue I have with it. It's not so much that I dislike it so much that it takes me a second to like readjust to what I'm watching. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I can do without seeing Mowgli as a baby, but I do like his entrance. Like he literally leaps onto the screen. Um and he's, you know, he's running with the wolves and he's up on branches and everything. Um, this kid who they picked for Mowgli. Yeah, Neil Seethi, is that, I think that was his name? It, is his name? Yes. Um, he's, he's wonderful. I think he's got, like, the most expressive eyes. He was unknown. This was his first movie. And uh, I thought he did a really, really great job. Yeah, he was, he was excellent. I mean, he was a great Mowgli. Yeah. Um... So yeah, starting starting him that way. I like that he is running with the wolves, and I think that um, out of the shoot, um, Favreau does build the relationship better between Mowgli and the pack. I think that in the animation you see more of the wolves just serving as protection, and that he is part of the pack. But um, I think what Favreau developed here a little bit more was a real bond and and like a love, especially with. The mother, um, who's voiced by Lapita Nyong'o. He does it very well with some of the characters. Some of the characters, I 
feel the relationships are kind of strained or, or maybe they're not as strong. We'll get to them as we break them down. What I like about this, um, which is done differently than the original animated movie, is from basically from from the jump, this movie is about Mowgli. Yes. You know, Mowgli is the focus of this movie. Um, whereas in the animated feature we had discussed, the movie is about Mowgli, but the movie exists because of Baloo. I feel like this movie can exist with just the kid. Right, and I do feel like he's on his own quite a bit more. And and definitely thinking more independently. Yes. And that was one of the things that I said I didn't love about Mowgli in the animation, is that I feel like he's just so easily led. Um, and I think that Favreau addresses that here because he seems to be a lot more self-sufficient. There are some things that I like about that and some things that I'm not so in love with. You know, they recite the law of the jungle, which you don't hear in the original film, right? Right. And then they have the water truce, um, which, again, is not in the original film. And uh, when the water truce happens and all of the animals come out to, to drink from the water and they can't attack each other because it's a water truce, Mowgli's using his tricks. He kind of creates a bucket with a rope. And I think to myself, if you've been training to be a wolf this whole time, how do you know how to make rope? I mean, I know it's just vine, but how do you know to do that? How do you know to that you can make this bucket? And they kept referring to your tricks, your tricks. And they come up a lot for somebody that's never been trained in the ways of man. And for somebody that was supposed to be a wolf, he, uh, he knows a, an awful lot about uh, human tools. How he knows how to do some of these things, to me, that was something I really didn't like about it. Even just the concept of drinking from a bowl. Yeah. Why? Like, that's not something that he would really know. You're you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, I definitely think it served to show that, you know, he does have these skills and he's clever and, and he's really independent thinking, but... That was one of the things that, you know, it's like I said, I had some issues with that in the animation is that he was just doing and mimicking whatever animal he was with. So this is totally the opposite. And he is thinking on his own and he's being creative and clever. And yet it still doesn't work for me. I feel like it makes him less vulnerable than it did in the original movie. Because in the original movie, he was very naive and he would just do whatever he was told to do. Because that's that's what he had learned. Right. He, o he only knew what he knew. Right. But in this, it seems like he knows so much more and he's less naive and he's less innocent and he's less exposed. I, I use that word. He was exposed. Yeah. In the jungle. I feel like less so here. I think when we circle around to it, um, they do give Mowgli's backstory. So I think it may have to do with him having actually spent some time with man so maybe that's where those seeds were planted um but but that's jumping ahead a little bit we are going to get to Mowgli's backstory um let's let's circle back around to this water truce um so basically all the animals are allowed to gather at the watering hole uh you know predators and prey are drinking together and it's a truce they you know they're not allowed to attack because there's a drought. So this is really, you know, how they have to kind of ration the water. So 
everybody is there, including Shere Khan. Which I love. Ooh, I was going to say which I hate. Oh, okay. Um, I don't like that he's introduced right away because we were talking about with the animation how it makes him so much more scary because everybody's talking about how scary it is, how scary he is, and we don't see him until about halfway through the movie. So right away you've lost that fear of the unknown. And I don't think that he would ever obey this truth. I think that if this was the animated one and they were all gathering around a watering hole, he would be like, oh, look, dinner in like seven courses. See, and that's that's what I liked about this. Now, I had, I had, I had waxed poetic last week about how much I love how they developed Shere Khan and that fear of the unknown and how in his first scene when he was stalking that deer and he hadn't said a word, you kind of got a feel for exactly the type of character he was without speaking a word, just with his expression. But I like the fact that he appears much earlier spurt, uh, sporting that burn scar, um, which they point out. So you know out of the gate he's got something against man because obviously he was the victim of an attack. Um, I like the fact that he shows up. I like the fact that like from go, this movie is, is more about him and Mowgli. Yeah. And it works for this version of the film yeah it would not have worked for the animated version of the movie but remember the entire reason why they're trying to get Mowgli back to the man village is because of Shere Khan the the fear of the unknown worked in the animated feature but this movie is so visual I feel like you would have swung and missed had you not had him out of the gate and I'll be honest with you about something character wise I like him in, the, in this movie more than I like Baloo. Wow. So I, I really think that that was a really good idea. I love the fact that he obeys the water truce because it shows that as aggressive as he is, for the most part, for the most part, he still respects the law of the jungle because he has an integrity and a respect for that environment and that community for the most part. There is one instance where he doesn't, and we'll talk about that. But I also like Idris Elba. So the yes. fact that we got tons of Idris Elba, to me, was perfectly fine. And I'm actually very upset to hear that he's not going to be James Bond. Because I love James Bond as much as I love Disney films, and I was jazzed when I heard that he was going to be the front runner. He was great as Shere Khan. I really, really loved what he, you know, the quality that he brought to Shere Khan. I honestly think he was probably the best casting of this movie. Next to next to the kid that played Mowgli, I think he was probably the best, the best casting in this film. Yeah, yeah, especially because it's like you said, the relationship between Shere Khan and Mowgli this time, instead of the fear of the unknown, it's more of a revenge that Shere Khan is after. And I, I think that that really, really comes through in not just the dialogue, but in the voice. I think Idris Elba did a lot with him. Yeah. And Mowgli seems afraid of him from the start, which is a little bit different than, than the animated film where he was, he hadn't seen him, but it was, I'm not afraid. And even when he interacted with him the first time, it's, I'm not going to run from you. Right. Right. And that's um that that's interesting because that that kind of leads me to my next point is that um so now so now Mowgli now that he's interacted with Shere Khan, um it gets to the point in the story where 
he has to, he's forced to leave the wolf village. But this time, he actually makes this decision on his own, which, like I said in the animation, he didn't really think that independently, and he was told that he was leaving and he didn't want to go. This time, he recognizes that he is causing a danger to the wolf pack, and he decides that he has to go. However, he doesn't say, I'm going back to the man village. He just says that he's going to leave. So he is, in a way, still being forced by Bagheera and everyone else to go to the man village. He just doesn't know it yet. Right. He shows the resistance. He's like, I'll go with the crocodiles. I'll go with the turtles. I'll go here. His intent was never to leave the jungle. It was just to leave um, Pride Rock and leave the wolf den. <laughs> um. Speaking of Pride. Council, Council Rock. Yes. I, that's the second week in a row I've done that. Council Rock. Well, no, but speaking of Pride Rock, there, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you referenced the Lion King because um, the way that Mowgli does escape Shere Khan after this water truce is a stampede. Yep. Of, um, forgive me, I'm, I'm not too up on my animals. I don't know if it's, I think it's wildebeest or are they water buffalo? No, I thought they were water buffalo. Water buffalo. That's right. It is water buffalo and then in Lion King it is it is a stampede of wildebeest and I'm sitting there watching this as you know Mowgli escapes and he runs down into this ditch and then he's followed by the water buffalo and they're all running by him and uh he ends up jumping on one of their backs and I was like man this is such a ripoff of the Lion King which is really funny because Favreau is also directing the live action remake of the Lion King and I was like what are you gonna do now before that uh scene happens Mowgli is walking through the high grass with Bagheera. It's an instance where they're having a conversation, they're conversing back and forth, and it seems so real and it seems so lifelike. I mean, we're, we're going to keep talking about how visual this movie is and what a masterpiece it is visually. Um, but he's look. I mean, he's looking at him like right in the eye. You know, sometimes when you get these actors, and it's. It's a it's a compliment towards John Favreau as a director. It's it's a compliment towards the visual effects artists, and it's also a compliment towards uh, towards Neil. It I mean he's looking Bagheera right in the eye. A lot of the times when you do these these animated and CGI films, you can tell that they're looking in their direction, but not necessarily looking directly at them. Part of that is because they used uh, puppets in the production process but they blended it so well. That was a scene that and and when he leaves when he leaves the wolf pack and he goes to hug his mother and he's running his hands through her wet fur in it, the rain, it yeah. It looks so real. Those were the two instances early on in this movie where I knew how special this movie was. Yeah, no, they they really took good care of that. Um Yes, and you're right. At this point, the, he is taking the walk with Bagheera um, after after everybody's drinking at the water truce and after the first encounter with Shere Khan. Now they're away from the water, so Bagheera kind of stops in their conversation because he senses something is wrong, and sure enough, it is Shere Khan in the high grass. So he goes to attack Mowgli because now they're no, no longer near the water, the truce is off, and him and Bagheera get in a fight, and that's how Mowgli has a means to escape. And he said he wouldn't go after anybody during the water truce. 
he went after Mowgli the second that water truce was over. Like he was just ready to go. He yeah, this, this is in the next day. Like there's there's no real sense of any time passing. I think this is just this is like you know, hours everybody kind of broke up and and he's been waiting for Mowgli ever since. Um, but what I really like about that is um, Bagheera gives Mowgli the means to escape, but they kind of get separated because then he gets caught up in the stampede. I like that instead of Bagheera always being like, well, if you know better, go ahead, do it on your own. That was one of my big issues with the animation is that, you know, Bagheera is not like really giving him tough love. He just keeps leaving him on this journey because, you know, he's kind of trying to teach Mowgli to fend for himself. But now Mowgli is forced to fend for himself. Um, so after the stampede, um, is when Mowgli runs into Ka. And I love how they introduce Ka because the first thing that we see is this giant piece of shed skin. And I think that's really, really cool um, because Mowgli knows nothing about Ka, but you get a sense of how big Ka is. So that that makes him, or in this case her, a lot creepier. Yes. Um, voiced by Scarlett Johansson. Um, I really liked her in this role. It was a very small role. It didn't last very long, but Scarlett Johansson has, I actually, I think she's a very good actress mm -hmm. and clearly Disney and Marvel use her a lot because she is Black Widow and she was in this movie and we know she's friendly with Favreau. Right. And he used her in Chef. Um, but her voice is so soothing and smooth, mm. but unsettling at the same time. Yeah, I loved her. I actually think that she was the best casting of this movie. I mean, I loved Idris Elba as Shere Khan, but I think to me this was this was an excellent choice. First of all, I love the gender flip on Ka. I think that that was a really, really interesting choice to make Ka female. Um Immediately, though, you lose that goofy quality that Ka has in the animation. Um, and it's interesting what you said because Scarlett Johansson's voice is so soothing. Aside from losing the goofy quality, the way that she lures him in, I think she's like so much more nurturing. And I think that does have to do with just the fact that they made her female. But she almost like tries to baby Mowgli a little bit, I feel like. And that's how she kind of traps him into her coils. Right, which I thought was brilliant. I did too, especially because, you know, since you're losing that goofiness, you lose the hypnosis. What I really liked about how they do the hypnosis, you know, there's no song, is that this is where Mowgli's backstory is introduced. And Scarlett Johansson as Ka tells him what happened to him as a child. And to me, that's a lot more mesmerizing because what did happen was awful and it's a horrible story. And Mowgli is completely hypnotized by what she's saying. So I thought that that was just a really clever choice. Although I don't know that I like Ka explaining backstory versus Bagheera narrating it. Well, I think the the point is that she knew what had happened. Bagheera only knew that he had found Mowgli. 
That's true. I mean, really, a quick a quick filler here and spoiler if you haven't seen the movie. But we're gonna, you know, I think by this point you're three episodes in. We basically spoil every movie <laughs> if you've never seen it. Um, the backstory is that Mowgli and his father, as it turns out, Mowgli's maybe two years old because he's walking, but still a, a baby. Yeah, not I'd really talking two, or yeah, anything. I'd yet. say about two years old. Right. Uh, they're in a cave. They have fire, um, presumably to keep them warm. Uh, Shere Khan gets drawn into the cave, um, and Mowgli's father, right before Shere Khan kills him, tries to fend him off with fire and burns uh, Shere Khan's face, and Khan runs off after he takes a swipe at Mowgli's father, killing him. He didn't know Mowgli was there. Mowgli basically left orphaned, and as he comes out of the cave and he's looking around, that's when Bagheera comes and finds him. And Bagheera didn't want to leave him, and then he brought him to the wolves. Right. So, I mean, it definitely worked for this story because this addresses a lot of things. Now we've seen Mowgli as a baby. We've seen Bagheera find him. So that kind of explains why the movie didn't lead off that way necessarily. Um, you also now know why Shere Khan is after Mowgli in more of a, a – now that he's after revenge – as opposed to just hating man. He's got a really a, a real reason to hate this specific man. Well, remember, he didn't know Mowgli was there. So it's not so much Mowgli, so much as it is that he has a man cub in the jungle that he can prevent from becoming a man and doing exactly to him what was done in the past. Right, right. I don't know that it's, that it's, it's, it's more vengeful, you're right, it's more of a, in the in the animated movie it was he's afraid of man's gun and man's fire so he sees the opportunity to prevent a man cub from becoming a man and utilizing those tools. In this instance, it's more vengeful because he has actually been attacked. And yeah, a bit of revenge. I I think that it has that feel to it, but not specifically towards Mowgli because he knows that Mowgli's the child of the man that burned him. I don't know. I I feel like he's he's after Mowgli like so specifically because he's vulnerable. True. Because remember, he's not going to go into a man village and tear it apart because of it's too many. He's outnumbered, too, and because that's where the red flower is. Right. 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 There is one thing that we jumped here, um, and that's that Khan returns to Council Rock. And kills Akila. Yes. In front of the entire pack. Yes. And that's that's a scene where, like I said earlier, for the most part, he respects the laws of the jungle. And Akila had a throwaway line saying, you know, the tiger certainly wouldn't come to our territory to start causing problems, especially during a water truce. It was something to that effect. So what that means is you're really not supposed to go to someone else's territory and start stirring it up. And he goes and not only stirs it up, but he kills the leader of the pack and then takes his place on his throne. That's right. So in that aspect, doesn't really respect the law, but it's such a good scene because we talked about how he was almost evil incarnate in the animated film, but he comes right out with it early on. 
again, you know exactly who Shere Khan is. And there's another scene later where uh, he's got the little cubs and he's explaining a story to them, which is directed at their mother. And as the last one goes to walk away, he just puts a paw in front of it as if he's got him trapped just to scare her. Like He's so evil and he's so diabolical. Great CGI. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's wonderfully expressive, Idris Elba. <laughs> I mean, that's there's there's nothing else that needs to be said there. Yeah, no, it's a really great scene, and see, this is why I feel like it is so much more about revenge on Mowgli because it's not just that he overthrew the wolf pack and is trying to, you know, take over there. It's that he's waiting for Mowgli. He knows when he hears about his father's death, he's going to come back and that's where Shere Khan is going to be waiting for him. But like you said, he brought it into the home. This didn't, this wasn't just like a scuffle that happened out in the jungle somewhere. He brought it back to Council Rock. And a fact, and the fact that the wolves, and there's a lot of them, they greatly outnumber him, but they can't do anything about it. Just, just shows how powerful he is. Yeah. Um, and then to get back into the scene with Ka, Cobb then goes to eat Mowgli, um, and that's when Baloo shows up. Yeah. Um, I think that this was a better entrance for Baloo, actually. Um, and I think from there, that's about the last thing I like about this Baloo. Yeah, um, it is definitely a better entrance for Baloo. Um, Bill Murray, I love Bill Murray. My favorite film of all time is Ghostbusters. I love Stripes. I love Groundhog Day. I love Scrooge. I have been watching Bill Murray my entire life. And I think for this version of Baloo, Bill Murray was great casting. Because in this film, Baloo is more of a swindler. Um, a con artist. And a big time con artist. And Bill Murray plays that really well. It's a very... It's a very good um, adaptation of that character because of Bill Murray. But with that said, I really don't like Baloo. Exactly. I think it's a great casting choice. And I see, I appreciate what they were doing and where they took it and where they went with the character. But a large chunk of last week's episode was talking about how much we love Baloo and how great of a character that he was and and what the voice actor brought to the character and how much input he had. Baloo is the heart and soul of the movie in the animation. That does not translate over here, and that's where the character falls apart for me. I agree with you 100%. I th I love Bill Murray as a casting choice. And when I heard that they got him, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be so great because I really thought that he was going to be, you know, this big goofy bear. And that's not what Baloo is at all. I mean, you still get that he's kind of a bum and he just kind of, you know, he's very laid back and he takes it day to day. Um, but I don't really like that he's so conniving when it comes to Mowgli. The the relationship between Baloo and Mowgli in the animated film and the way that Baloo 
not only cared for Mowgli, he loved Mowgli. Yes. That does not really come across at all here. He uses Mowgli as a tool to get what he wants. But other than that, he has a throwaway line of that was the hardest thing I ever had to do. But there there was really no buildup to that because even watching it, I never really felt that Baloo ever cared about Mowgli more than using him to get what he wanted out of him. Right. Like, for example, out of the gate, when he sees Mowgli, I don't even really know that he cared so much to save Mowgli from Ka as much as he did. How can I use this man cub now? Because from the jump, he wants Mowgli to help him get honey. Now, already, you've lost me because we're not picking a prickly pear. We're going after honey. So there is a throwaway line um, where they say that Baloo is tricking the monkeys into helping him get this honey. It's high up on a cliff, and you can't really climb the cliff and access it from the top. Um, so he uses Mowgli to get up there and just kind of knock some honey down. And the excuse that he gives him is that he needs to gather it for hibernation. And immediately I was like, well, Baloo doesn't care about planning ahead. Aside from the fact that we later find out, and you should just kind of know this, that bears in the jungle don't really need to hibernate. That's a winter thing. It doesn't really concern Baloo. Not in the Indian jungle. No. But I actually, I remember seeing that and laughing. And I was like, all right, that is kind of funny. It is It is funny. But I was like, Baloo doesn't care. Baloo doesn't plan five minutes ahead, let alone worrying about stocking up for the winter. I mean, as, as it turns out, it is just a device for him to trick Mowgli. Um, so the way that Mowgli eventually does get this honey, and this is about what, this is kind of what we were talking about before is his man cub tricks. He he devises like this whole apparatus where it's a pulley system. So he's he's kind of like sitting in a cradle and he'll Baloo pulls the one end. He rises up to the cliff and he can knock off the honeycomb with sticks. And he made a saw out of it. Yeah. And, and he's got he's got the flying squirrel helping and he's got the hog helping. It's just by the way, the flying squirrel and the hog. Sam Raimi and John Favreau. Yes. <laughs> which which was kind of funny. Um, I mean, if I'm John Favreau, I'm putting myself in this film. Of course. Even if it's just a minor character, like have a little fun with it. And I think I, he did. And again, I'm watching it going, but you've never been to the Man Village, and and you you you're so against being a man because you want to be in the jungle. Why? How do you know how to make a saw? How do you know how to rig a pulley system? Like it's just. It it just it again it took me so far out of it right that it, it's very hard to recover from that right and it, you know it's like we said before when we do get Mowgli's little bit of backstory he was two I don't think any of the skills that he employs here as clever as they are were learned when he was two years old so it's not like you can even say well the time that he spent with his father was you know, that's where he got this from. I, I think it lends to showing how smart Mowgli is. But other than that, we didn't need it. Just like we did not mm. need the bare necessities. Um, I like a lot of the choices that Favreau made, but he bastardized this song. And I'm kind of salty about it. I feel like you're either going to use it or you're not. I know they they didn't want this to be a musical, but 
you either use the song or you don't use the song. And the clip that you opted to use makes no sense. The portion of the song that they use is uh, the part about the ants. When you look under the rock and plants, take a glance at the fancy ants, and that's when Baloo eats them. The other part of the song that they use is when Mowgli is sitting on top of Baloo as they're floating down the river. You know we're near ants. We need to see the ants if that's what you're singing about. It, you know, th this is like visual medium 101. If you're talking about it and if you're hearing it in audio, we need to see it visually. The part, the, the fact that that's the part of the song that they use, it's, it's so jarring. It brings me right out of it. But like if you felt the need to put this song in there, why wouldn't, you know, when you wanted the visual of them floating down the river, why wouldn't you use the prickly pear part of it? Like you could have had them like kind of hanging off of vines or whatever and Baloo's like picking the fruit as they're going along. Or if you're going to use it at all and you wanted that, that visual of him floating down the river with Mowgli like you had in the original film, you could just use the first verse of Bare Necessities and okay. it would work much better. Right. And the other thing that was sort of odd was I felt like Mowgli was almost singing about the Bare Necessities to Baloo. Baloo is supposed to teach Mowgli about right. the Bare Necessities. Right. And there are parts where I feel like Mowgli's heard the song a hundred times, but it's only the first time that we've heard it. Yeah. You know, it was it was very strange. I mean, here's the thing. I do like that Favreau chose to incorporate the music because otherwise, you know, I know he was drawing from the Kipling book a lot more, and you do feel that tonally this is a much darker movie than the animation. So I think that the songs were a good choice so that, A, you know, you're giving the kids something to enjoy during this movie. You know, I feel like a lot of the people that bought their kids to go see this movie obviously grew up on the Jungle Book. So I think you needed to give children something to enjoy about it. And I think that, you know, you have to keep in mind it is a Disney movie. You can't go that dark with it. You do need some kind of comic relief. Though there was really nothing funny about this, I think that that's why they chose to include the music. But it was just, I don't know, for for as much as I feel Favreau made such careful choices with everything, I really don't understand the method to the madness in this one. I'm okay with it being darker and not necessarily being geared towards little kids. There's nothing wrong with Disney taking the, the movies that we grew up on and making them grown up. Right. I'm cool with that. No problem with that at all. And it worked really well in Maleficent. And it worked pretty... It worked well in this movie. But, for example, when I saw this movie with my dad, we talked last week about how the original animated feature was my favorite Disney animated feature. That's because I grew up on that movie. There was a story I meant to tell last week, but I'll save it for, for today. Uh, it actually, to, to play off of what you had mentioned about having to see the fancy ants, um, I was four, my brother was two years old, we're in the backyard, and we're, we're playing in the grass, and we had, you know, sandbox and whatever oh God. in our trucks, and my mom's out there, and my brother, there was an ant hill, and there were ants crawling around, and my brother grabbed a couple of ants on his hand as my mother was sitting there and he held them up to her and he said Baloo and then he ate them <laughs> that's a true story 
<laughs> All he said was Baloo, and then he ate them. Oh, you know, Brian. Like my, 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 dad, my dad used to call me Man Cub. Like, that was like a nickname for me when I was little. We grew up on this. So when he and I went to go see it, we walked out. The first thing he said to me was, it was good, but I wanted to hear the Bare Necessities. Yeah. It was the first thing he said. Yeah, no, like, if you're going to bother to put it in, it, it should have been full out. And I just, it doesn't jive the piece of the song that they chose to use with the visual. Um, and then Ben Kingsley comes back as Bagheera, and he has an interaction with Baloo, which is very funny. But bears don't hibernate. Like, it, it, was, yeah. it was good. Ben Kingsley was very, he, he was stoic, but he also had just the right bit of comedy. Yeah. You know, just the way he inflected things, because you could just, like, hear him through the microphone pulling his hair out and throwing his hands down and getting so flustered. Ben Kingsley's bald. I understand he's bald, but I'm saying that's the visual. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? It, he's exasperated. Yeah, like, that's that's the visual. Yeah. They, somebody's just pulling their hair out and throwing it down and kicking and screaming. I think, yeah, I think we're in the animation, is a little high strung this is just full-on exasperation with everything but i really like that i feel like the relationship between bagheera and baloo starts to develop a little bit earlier like right away he calls baloo out on all of his he does call him a con artist, con artist to his face yeah um so i think that that sets the tone of like i'm not gonna put up with your garbage and Baloo knows that he's not going to get anything past Bagheera. So I feel like they start to work together a little bit more right out of the gate. And then you see Mowgli using his tricks to rescue a baby elephant that's falling into a ditch. That's an important scene because it's one of the first times that Baloo and Bagheera together, more specifically Baloo, see how special Mowgli is because of how caring he is. Right. Now, the elephants, they made a quick uh, entrance into the film earlier, and they don't have the AM Dawn Patrol, and they don't sing, but, you know, uh, Bagheera makes him bow down, and he's like, we respect them because they helped create the jungle with their tusks and, and the way that they, 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 they knocked down trees and they, and they dug things up. You know, they're probably the most well-regarded and, and highly respected animals in the jungle. Right. And it's interesting that and that was something that I, I kind of missed, that they're not really used as comic relief. Um, it, they're they're more about function. Um, but yeah, this second encounter is really or I mean, you see the elephants earlier on in the movie, um, but this is really like the first big encounter with them. Um, and I thought it was interesting because instead of playing with Colonel Hathi's son, like we do in the animation there really is no colonel happy even it's it's just the baby elephant but i feel like there's more of a bonding experience this time around because he's trapped in a pit and Mowgli again uses his tricks and you know he ties a bunch of rope together and he you know he needs the elephants to pull the baby out but he helped them do it because he got the rope right um when when Bagheera eventually um, convinces Baloo that Baloo has to let Mowgli go with him to go back to the man village, the way that Baloo just casts Mowgli off and is like, I don't need you anymore. Don't you understand? I don't want you here. Like, 
it was it was so mean spirited mm-hmm. and I Baloo's throwaway line is that's the hardest thing I've ever done. But why why? Why did you why did you do it that way? Like why didn't you just explain to the kid, you know, hey kid, I'm gonna bring you back to the Met like sort of how they did it in the original. The fact that he was so nasty and went out of his way to be so full mean to the kid to hurt the kid's feelings and upset him into leaving was startling because the relationship between the two of them was so good in the first movie that to me, this completely took me out of it. And to me at this point, this is the only point in the movie in spite of the fact that Bear Necessities falls flat, in spite of the fact that Baloo is a con artist and he's not this jungle bum and he's just like, go with the flow and, and I'm going to be your papa bear. This is the this is the one part of the movie where I no longer feel like I'm watching the jungle book. I disagree a little bit because I feel like him being so mean comes from the fact that he is starting to care about Mowgli and this version of Baloo has never really cared about anything. He's just a conniving guy and he he just cares about number one. He cares about himself and that's it. So I think that he's starting to have these paternal feelings towards Mowgli and he's also hurt too. And I think that that's why it comes out so mean. Um, yes, no. I, I'm, I see it. It's just the the hardest part for me in watching this movie is trying to separate it from the original. Mm. It's not that I disagree with what you're saying, and I said it before. Bill Murray portrayed this version of Baloo very well. For this version of Baloo, Bill Murray was a great casting choice. I will go so far as to say this, and I'll, I will probably repeat myself at the end of the episode. As a standalone movie, if the original Jungle Book animated feature didn't exist, I would have loved this movie. But because I have something to compare it to, and it's something that meant so much to me as a kid, there are just so many things about this movie that I I find... I try to separate the two, but I find a, I find it very difficult to do. No, I can kind of see that. But on that scene in particular, I think we're just going to go point Jackie because, well, you know, last week you started keeping score. All right, fine. All right, so this finally brings us to King Louis. Now, this is not the first time we see the monkeys in the movie. The monkeys actually make their first appearance when Mowgli runs into Ka. And I really, really like that Favreau made that choice because that was something that was one of the issues that I have with the animation is that how did King Louis even know that Mowgli existed and why, you know, we know that he wants to make fire. We know that he has sought after Mowgli, but it's, you're kind of missing the how and the why he's after him. So I think that they addressed it here really, really nicely because you see the monkeys earlier on and what they did with King Louis, who is, brilliantly voiced by Christopher Walken is that they gave him more of like a mob boss quality. That's what I wrote. Yeah. He's got eyes everywhere in the jungle. He's using the rest of the monkeys. My ears have ears. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So I thought that that was really, really cool. Um, I personally love this take on King Louis. I know that you're not really a fan of the size. Um, I, I think it worked, especially to give him this mob boss quality. But what they do is they make him a gigantopithecus. And I thought that was something that they made up for the sake of a rhyme in this in the song, but it actually is a species of I don't know orangutan. I think it's extinct now. It is yeah, it is since extinct, but it it was at one point a real species of monkey. And that that too, the writers and 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 Fabro as well, um, they really did their research because that was a species that was specific to that jungle to that region that they were shooting in. I mean, you give them credit. As we stated before, they did do their homework. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I love about the scene is that they actually do sing, I want to be like you. And I remember when I went to see this in theaters, I was like, is it asking too much to have Christopher Walken sing this song? And I really thought that they were going to leave all of the music out. So when I heard them bring it under, I like freaked out. I was like, they actually got Christopher Walken to sing this. Now, we talk about how they didn't use the proper section, for lack of better terms, of bare necessities in the scene in which they used it, but they did it perfectly here. Yeah. Not only does it work very, very well, um, they changed the lyrics a little bit, which, like I said before, I'm a purist. I don't ever usually agree with but um they made it work and they, they actually had uh robert sherman do it i believe richard richard sherman. german i'm sorry um yeah they they got him to rework the lyrics and actually he was having a conversation with favreau and favreau said the word gigantopithecus and he's like hang on and he starts rewriting the song and some of the words are then made up to r rhyme with gigantopithecus but like it it just works like, it, you know, it wasn't a complete departure from the original. Um, you lose that swing quality from the animation, but they still made a really, really fun number. And what I love the most about it is that Mowgli picks up a cowbell off the floor. They actually planted the cowbell. If you're familiar with Saturday Night Live, you know, the infamous I need more cowbell scene when Christopher Walken hosted. And uh, I just love that. Favreau did a little hat tip to pop culture. Yeah. And uh, I, you had pointed it out before. I'm, I'm all good with them using this species that is specific to the jungle and, and making him sort of like a larger than life being. To, you know, to, to kind of give him that character development of, you know, I'm, I'm sort of like the head honcho here. Mm -hmm. But I. I did feel like I was watching, maybe not King Kong, but it did throw me with how large he was. It does give him a more villainous quality than, uh, like, see, in the animation, I think that King Louis is a little bit, he's more of the conniving one in that one. Here, he's more villainous. Yeah. But I think he's magnificent. I think that he was really good. Yeah. I, 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 I in all... In, in spite of the fact that I found his size distracting, I really, really liked this King Louis. And I think Christopher Walken was excellent. 
I also think that they had to use the size, though, because when you think about how the ruins crumble in the animation, King Louis holding it up and Baloo tickles him and he loses his balance. Obviously, you know, we've talked about visually how amazing this movie is. I feel like that would have been a feat to accomplish if they did that, you know, sort of shot for shot. So in this case, King Louis is chasing Mowgli throughout the temple and that's how it ends up falling apart because he's taking swings at him and he's destroying the temple in the process. Um, so I kind of think that you needed this size to pull that off. Um, although, you know, for as much as I love what they did here, I did miss that snatch and grab and that swing number. And, you know, it, it just made it a lot more fun. Right. I guess if the idea here was because it's live action, make it slightly more realistic and, and have them more, you know, make them look like they're moving more naturally. Mm. You're not necessarily going to have them dancing, but, um, in, in this case it worked. Whereas in bare necessities, it really didn't work that well here. It worked. And I think that the Louie character was a better character than Baloo. Agreed. He's not, because he still has some of those King Louie qualities from the first movie. I think you're right. I think he's, he's a little bit more of a villain, but it's only a little bit more. Like, I feel like he actually, he, because in the original movie, Louie wants Mowgli because Mowgli can make fire. He offers him protection, but he otherwise doesn't care about Mowgli. Right. It's the same thing here. It still translates over the same way. It's just done a little bit differently. Right. So this 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 why I was I was okay with this one. Um so after that, now we're we're kind of approaching the end of the movie. Um What's interesting is that the vultures were taken out altogether. And I was really missing that comic relief, um, you know, for a couple of reasons, because this was a darker movie. So to me, like, that would have been such an obvious choice to put the vultures in because it is so dark. And, um, you know, like I said, I, th I think that they missed the opportunity for a couple of good jokes. And I thought that that would have been like a really, really cool cameo. Like how we were talking about in the animation, they were modeled off the Beatles and they were supposed to get the Beatles to voice them. I think Favreau, even if he had gotten like two or three, like it, it could have been like a cool opportunity for a cameo there. Well, he can't get three because there's only two of them alive. Oh, well, no, I didn't mean the, the Beatles specifically. I <laughs> meant did, like if you brought try. it to pop culture now. But he did try. That was the thing. He tried to get Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney. Oh, I didn't know that. He tried to get them, but he said, admittedly, it was too little, too late. And they, he said, they hadn't planned on it far enough in advance, and they tried to get them, and it was sort of too last minute. Even if it would have just, just wasn't been something, meant to be. Even if it would have just been something where they're panning across, and you have the two vultures, and it's, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Like, if you could have just had Ringo and Paul do that back and forth and taken a half an hour to record that audio, right. it would have been amazing. But he said, admittedly, they waited and didn't have enough time. I'm wondering, though, if that was time with regard to actually animating the vultures or or more like to, to, get, the, uh, to get them to do it. I don't know. But Ask that, yeah, th that would have been a cool, uh, cool wrong to write, though. Um, so now... 
um, we have our final encounter with Shere Khan. This, you know, Mowgli goes back to to avenge Akela. This is where you really start to see his bravery. Um, he goes over to the man village, and he's able to steal fire. He steals a torch from outside the man village because um, he goes back, and Shere Khan is there, and you know, Mowgli. What what was amazing about this was when Mowgli goes back, and this is the weapon that he's got because I think it was. Uh, he he tries to stand up to him, and I believe it's Bagheera that says, and this was something that sort of threw me, he goes, fight him like a man. Yeah. And I was like, okay, all right, so Mowgli, don't use your tricks. Okay, Mowgli, use your tricks. You know, and the other thing, too, is they were so afraid of the red flower that they're sort of, like, encouraging him to, like, okay, go be everything we don't want you to be. Everything we're afraid of, we want you to become. And interestingly enough, as he's running through, a, a, a part of Ember falls off this torch and starts a forest fire. And when he gets there, he doesn't realize that this has happened. It's Shere Khan. And I thought I actually liked this a lot. I thought it was really cool. And I thought that it was going to get everybody to turn on Mowgli. And Khan, mm. Khan gives this speech of, look at what you've become. Look at what you started. Because it's pointing out that the red flower destroys everything. Right. And and even Baloo says, the red flower destroys everything. Don't play with it. Mm -hmm. you know, he, says, he says to Mowgli earlier on. And in a way, he kind of starts to become everything that they were afraid of. But because they are so afraid of Shere Khan and because they're so fed up with him and they want him overthrown that they all start reciting the law of the jungle. And it's like, they, I, you know, for lack of a better term, they kind of rally behind the red flower. It, it was it, it's 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 sort of a very weird scene. I think they kind of are rallying behind Mowgli more than anything else. But it's just interesting that they choose to embrace his man skills i guess the reason why they've sort of embraced his man skills is because they've conceded to the fact that that's the only way they're going to be able to defeat your con right but i i think that's just kind of a weak choice because it, it, it's convenient you know it it's like you were so against it this whole time and and now that you need it you're going to call in the favor and to me that's it's just kind of weak right and they have this sort of chase scene where Khan is Khan, who is so afraid of the red flower, starts chasing Mowgli through a forest fire. I mean, I guess Mowgli leads him there. I know he does. But if Shere Khan is so afraid of it, remember in the animated movie, Shere Khan, when he sees fire, wants nothing to do with it. He, he's so motivated to kill Mowgli that now he doesn't care. But it again, it, it, it sort of threw me out of it. I, I felt like you developed this character, and now you're sort of throwing it away. Right. It does work for Mowgli, though, because the way that he leads him into the forest fire, he um, he creates another rig. I, really not a rig. It's, it's just a piece of rope, and he throws it over a tree. And then goes back down the inside of, like, a hollow tree. It's a dead tree. And lures Shere Khan in through this dead tree and they climb up back to the treetops 
And Mowgli is able to jump to the next tree. And because of Shere Khan's weight, he can't do the same thing and he ends up falling. So I think that lends back to Mowgli's character, back to how clever he is, is that this wasn't even really a man trick. It was just a piece of rope. It was just him being smart and, and using this opportunity. And this was really the only way he was ever going to bring him down. I liked in the original movie that Shere Khan lives at the end. But in a way, for he's, he's sort of neutered, for lack of a better term. Because now he, he's not going to go back and mess around with these characters because he's, he's afraid of what has happened. And in a way, I, I kind of felt like he runs off and it's almost like an embarrassment. But he also knows that Mowgli bested him. I don't know that I like the fact that Shere Khan dies at the end of this movie. Yeah, because in the animation, it's like now you know he's going to respect the laws of the jungle. Yes, he learned a lesson. Yes, exactly. And this is just, well, I feel like this kind of lends to the way that they wrap up the movie because this is probably the biggest deviation from the animation. I don't know, you know, admittedly, I've not read the Kipling book, so I don't know if this stays true to what was written, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're not here to compare it to the source material. We're here to talk about the movie on its own for what it is. Uh, so at the end, Mowgli does not go back to the man village. He went there to get the fire and that was it. There's no girl. No one lures him there and he doesn't make a choice. This isn't about him making that choice between living in the jungle or growing up in the man world. This is a this is about him earning his place in the jungle. So I think he had to kill Shere Khan so that he could prove that he had every right to stay. But, you know, it's like I said, that there were a lot of things that Favreau addressed that I had issues with in the animation. But this is where I don't think it's a better movie because I don't like that he didn't go back to the man village. It shows growth as a character, and I think there's a better character arc for Mowgli, but I don't think that this works for the story. I see, and I disagree. I feel that it does. I felt like it, it the ending of the of the animated film worked because it was sort of tongue-in-cheek, which was kind of the whole movie, you know, in its in its own right. I was totally okay with him not going to the man village and staying with Bagheera and Baloo to live out his life in the jungle. I was, I was okay with that. I love the ending to the other movie. This, this I'm okay with. I'm almost indifferent about it at this point, but I was okay with how this one ended. I'm not really okay with it, but I think that he had to kill Shere Khan though in order to make this work. Um, Quickly, because I feel like in these past few minutes, we've been talking a lot about what didn't work. Uh, but I do want to hit on something that Favreau did really, really, really well. And that is the visual achievement that this film was. Um, so basically what he had to do, you know, you were talking about the sight lines before between Mowgli and Bagheera. And part of that is a nod to the actor, which I think is remarkable that, you know, a kid that young who had never acted before really grasped the concept of what he had to do and was able to interact with puppets and make it believable. And I mean, this movie is essentially, it's, it's all him. It's, it's either him talking to Favreau off screen or him talking to puppets. And, you know, I think that for a child actor, 
he handled that really, really well. Um, so basically, to do the visual effects, Favreau pretty much had to reverse engineer the production process. And he almost had to do his post-production first to show how the shots were going to look and then in the shooting get that spatial relationship to show Mowgli versus like how big the characters were going to be and to be able to create the sight lines where they needed to be. They had to have it done almost shot for shot before production even started. So it wasn't so much working off of storyboards as it was working off of the visual effect shot. It almost looked like they built a video game shot for shot of what they wanted and then when they actually went in on the blue screen, that's how they had to line it up. It, like it was when I was doing my homework, I, I kind of got sucked into a black hole of how they did this production. It, it was such a mind meld about what they had to do. I, I still can't even really wrap my head around it. But um, I think they did an amazing, amazing job. And it showed because they did get the Oscar for visual effects, which was absolutely deserved. Yeah. Oh, they absolutely earned it. No doubt about it. Visually, this is one of the most stunning movies I've ever seen. I think it's up there with Avatar. I think for its time, it doesn't hold up now, but for its time, I think it's up there with the original release of Titanic. Mm. You know, the Titanic was a visual marvel, but it never held up. Now, 20 years later, you see how flawed that movie is. Yeah. But this movie will hold up. Avatar has held up partially because it's it's a completely fabricated world, but so is this one. Right. Um, you don't have those uh, those visual effects where you're actually holding a prop that has deflated when somebody runs into it. <laughs> right. Like you have in, in Titanic. I am so excited to see what Favreau's going to do with The Lion King, though. I will. I think he's the perfect choice. To, I mean, after seeing this, like, how do you not, when you choose to recreate The Lion King, how do you not pick Favreau? Uh, listen, and, and, and for a lot of people, they're going to walk away thinking that we didn't like this movie. Far from it. I think we both like this movie a lot. I said earlier, I think it's probably, uh, as of now, the best live-action remake that we've seen. Mm -hmm. It's just that the handful of things, and it really isn't a lot. When you talk about a movie that's an hour and 40 minutes long, and you pick four or five things that you weren't happy about with it, in all, I think the, the filmmakers did a fairly good job. It's just that I for one, I'm very critical about this because of what the original film meant to me. I think that's it, is that the fan in us doesn't really appreciate the liberties that were taken, but overall, you know, the movie critic, for me, that all works. Right. So, news and rumors for the week? Anything standing out? Um, I don't have too much news, um, but rumor, um, we hit on it, uh, in our first episode that they are eventually going to remake Little Mermaid. They've been toying with it for quite a while. We've heard so many casting choices. Um, so this isn't really a rumor, but there is a fan rally for Zendaya to be Ariel. And, you know, we had talked about that we really liked both of us, Anna Kendrick, we thought that would be a great casting choice. But I think Zendaya would be amazing, too. I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not really a fan of hers. Like, I like her in every movie that I've seen her in. I've never really gotten to her music. But um, so she was just somebody that wasn't really on my radar. And 
I saw a fan rendering, which you can see on our Twitter, and I'll put it up on Facebook as well. Um, it, it's amazing. They put her, you know, in the shot where she's on the rock and the water leaping up behind her, and they, you know, they put some red in her hair, and it's just such an amazing fan rendering. I was like, I could, I could totally be on board with this. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, not that it was a fan vote, but if Idris Elba isn't going to be James Bond, I don't know that Zendaya is going to be ariel true um i mean we'll see uh, it's it's they have so many other live action remakes that they're doing right now i was mistaken i thought that we were looking at like a year or two before little mermaid it sounds like it's going to be even further than that to the point where anna kendrick might not be cast because she she might be too old yeah you know if they're talking about four or five years down the line unless unless she still looks similar to the way she does now you know, I, I don't I don't know that she could pull it off. She might fall into the same uh, trap that Anne Hathaway fell into for you when you wanted her to be Belle. Right, 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 right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back. Uh, we will be back next week. We're going to watch another classic and another film that was innovative because of its technological breakthroughs. Next week, it's time for Who Framed Roger Rabbit which I am very excited about. Very excited. For Jackie, I'm Sean. Have a magical week, everyone. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.